Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Do you ever start to pray and wonder... How do I even begin and what do I do? We'll dive into a format for prayer later today on the show and also talk about St. Joseph. It's Wednesday and our gaze in the church turns towards St. Joseph on Wednesday. So why is he called the servant of Christ? It's kind of odd given that he was the earthly father of Christ, the legal adoptive father. We'll dive into that a little later on in the show. Before we do, joining me today is Jim O'Day, the executive director of Integrity Restored, to dive into a very uncomfortable topic and it's taken me a little while to talk about it because I had to deal with it myself to start. If you know Jim O'Day, again, he's the executive director of Integrity Restored and he helps people who are struggling with pornography addictions and the latest technology and how technology is also impacting photographs and what's posted online. Jim, welcome back to Trending. Timory, as always, a pleasure to be here and, uh, before we get started in this heavy conversation, I had a, a bit of an epiphany today, I guess, as I was doing some research um, on this topic we're going to be talking about. You know, I was so grateful that my kids are older now. Mm. I was saying, you know, that's really a blessing, but I've got my grandkids to worry about. And, right. and then I started thinking about, man, this is really weird to be the same age as old people. And it was just a kind of strange feeling, Timory. So I don't know if your <laughs> listeners, any of them are going to get it. But for me, it was a bit of a moment. I'm just saying. <laughs> that's hilarious. My dad had one of those moments recently. He had me cracking up. And that's a whole other story for another day. Uh, but he, here's where I want to kind of introduce what we're discussing. So this summer, it's been almost six months. My sister sent me a video of a woman who is on a podcast and by the way it's since been taken off the internet and a lot of content to this effect is being taken off the internet and the woman was i don't know a 30 something year old woman who shared her testimony that her she has social media instagram and had had always a private social media account posted pictures of her younger children who are under the age of 10. And one day she's scrolling on Instagram and a photo comes up and it has her daughter's face on it. But that's not a photo she's ever seen. Long story short, this woman's minor child under the age of 10 ended up 
with somehow photos from the private account of the mother being taken and that photo was put on what's referred to as deep fakes and AI-generated pornographic content. She had to have fake porn of her own daughter, who's under the age of 10, taken off of multiple pornographic websites, some of which she could not have it removed. There are photos being circulated today of her little girl online that, although are not real, have her face or child's image and likeness in that content. Now, Jim... It's taken me a long time, I'm going to be really frank, to talk about it because I had this just gut-wrenching experience of going, oh, Lord, forgive me, what have I done? I've posted my children on the internet. And Grant, I know other people who are hearing this are going to feel really uncomfortable and frustrated, and people may choose to do what they do with social media, and I get it. I don't know that everyone's going to go not posting their children, Uh, but I've had this huge remorse of... What could be in Grant? There's no consent on my part or my child's part to what is done with any image of me as an adult or of my child. But I had this experience of I have not protected my child. I didn't know. I didn't Mm -hmm. know. And since then, it's taken a while. I've had to try and remove most of the content from social media that include my kids. I kind of just stopped posting for a while on social media. Just I felt, Jim, as if I need to spend more time making sure everything was removed, and it's hard. It's hard to pull everything off. Now, this week, the story broke that there are AI-generated pornographic images of Taylor Swift circling, circulating on the Internet. What AI can do today with people choosing that they want this done, they can take a photo or a video of someone and throw it onto pornographic photos and videos. And this is happening not just to people like Taylor Swift, but people who have small private accounts online of just friends and family. And my jaw is dropping. And there's remorse on my part, Jim, of what I've posted online, that my kids can be exploited to this. And it's a tough topic. Like my head is still spinning over it that I have a hard time even thinking about it without feeling somewhat emotional, to be quite frank. I completely understand. And when we think about why social media started kind of way back when now, right? It was to give us an opportunity to stay more connected with friends and family. And to share those kind of milestones and images. And it was kind of exciting and fun. And um, I, I mean, I even know, you know, as in my own family, sharing things about my nieces or my nephews. I loved to see those pictures and know yes. what was going on. Mm-hmm. But when you look at it now, it's such a risk. Mm. It's such a risk. A report just came out today, uh, Tim Marie, actually, at 5 o'clock, 5.08 p.m. Um, Law enforcement is continuing to warn that a flood, a flood of AI-generated fake child sex images is making it harder and harder to investigate real crimes against the abused children. Mm. That's from the New York Times. That's an article in the New York Times. And... Here's the problem. That also falls into a gray area. If it's AI generated, it's not real. Mm -hmm. What's the crime? Mm. And so just as recently as last year, I think it was every single attorney general 
in the U.S. Um, asked Congress in a letter to set up a committee to pass laws to stop this before it took off. Well, we're now a year later and Congress still hasn't moved on it. And we're seeing it speed up more and more. Mm -hmm. And this becomes a really gray area for law enforcement and, and our legal system, because we've never had to deal with this before. They're really struggling. Is it illegal if it's not a real person? Because what they're doing with a lot of the kids uh, now so they don't get in trouble is they'll change their image just enough. So if you looked at it or a family member looked at it, you'd be like, wow, that really looks like, you know, little Betty Sue. But you swap the nose out, the eye color, a couple little exactly things. Exactly correct. And and that's how they're staying in this legal gray zone, using our children's images, uh, even when we think we're in a closed system, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I only share with close friends on my social media accounts. Facebook or Instagram or whatever. You know what? These people have access to all of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, And it puts that question of what do we do? And I think I spent about two weeks not really being able to open my mouth after I started hearing these stories and diving into the topic. And there's actually a lot in the news about it. And what was startling to me as well, Jim, is that some of these testimonies of these moms who are sharing these experiences of their kids' images being exploited they're being taken off of these social media platforms. And there's a lot that could be discussed with how uh, the social media platforms are essentially complicit in what's happening today. And, you know, you can't have or assume that they have your best interest in mind. And I'm not saying there's some conspiracy here that I personally experienced. But I, what I will share is that back in September, I got online stayed up really late. A friend of mine was over that night and we went through and we deleted almost everything of my daughters on Instagram. We had to go through and do the other accounts. But what was interesting is that the couple days later, I go back on and almost all of it was still there. Now I went through, click, delete. So what I'm getting at is what's so hard is that you realize, okay, you've been posting these images and some of you, good for you. If you never did and you haven't, or you've just done the side or the back. And I've left a few images that were very distant from the side. And what's scary, Jim, is that my friend looked at me when I was trying to figure out, okay, well, that's pretty far away or it's just the side. And she looked at me and she said, Tim Ray, you need to think like a pervert and decide what photo should and shouldn't be there. And I was horrified when she said that because it made me go through with a totally different lens then trying to take photos of my children off the internet in a way that I never ever want to think of my children. And yet that's a new thing today that is normal, not just child pornography, but AI generated pornography using your child's face or or altering your child's face just a little bit. And the report you just shared is startling. It's making it difficult to prosecute today when it comes to child pornography. Where do you think the guidelines need to be for social media? Because I'm turning into this a hard pass for posting my children, but it makes me uneasy sharing a photo, for example, of not just myself or anyone else because something can be taken and used online. And we're in these gray areas and it kind of makes me ask the question, well, what rules do we have for ourselves when it comes to posting on social media? Well, and yeah, that's a great question, Timory, because here's the deal. 
you know what just happened with Taylor Swift was horrible. Um, it literally took 17 hours and boom, it was all pulled down. Why? Because Taylor Swift. Mm -hmm. If that happens to you or I, could be 17 months before you get everything pulled down. You know, it's, it's really funny that we're talking about this tonight because um, today, tomorrow, uh, and I believe Friday as well, all the tech, uh, you know, uh, Google, Facebook, Meta, all the CEOs are on Capitol Hill talking about social media. Senator Lindsey Graham uh, brought them in saying that, you know, they have to not get a hard pass in their culpability uh, on, on these things that are happening on social media. And they all expressed uh, today. I watched a little bit of the, the hearings. They all expressed, you know, great remorse. We're so sorry to the families that have gone through this. We're so blah, blah, blah. But yet they all, every single one of them, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, they all fired most of their content um, management people and are using just AI to try and police what's being put on their sites. Why? Because that makes them more money. So the fact of the matter is, I think that these companies have a huge responsibility. And, and even law enforcement is saying it. There was a guy uh, just a couple weeks ago uh, from, I want to say it was the U.S. Marshals uh, Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force. And he was talking about, you know, without the company's help, it's almost impossible for them now to figure out whether these images are real children or whether these images are AI generated and fake. And most of these companies do, do not cooperate. So I would say they don't have our best interest at heart. We should be very careful about utilizing their services. Yeah. And uh, my line has been drawn with kids, I'm not posting my kids or other people's kids anymore. And I think they're, I know a lot of people have like, okay, they're those parenting mistakes that you make. And I have this one. I didn't know. I still feel sorry. And there's a level of remorse. You have to just say, okay, Lord, forgive me. I didn't know. I made a mistake. I have to move on. And you remove the images. You don't post kids online anymore. And I think that's a really good line to start at. But I think we're starting to see the beginning of an increase in people really questioning their part on social media and what rules and what purpose it fits in whether or not maybe we need to spend more time connecting person to person, sending that family member that cute photo of your kids or your family vacation as a means of connecting. And that might mean our networks are much smaller, but we're doing the job we need to do if you're a parent to protect your kids. But also we could talk about protecting our own images too. So I think much more to come on this topic in the weeks and months to come, but that's where I'm at. And again, it's it's difficult to think about or discuss, but I think it's an important conversation that needs to be had. And hey, if you do come across a picture of my kid online that I failed to miss taking off the internet, 
let me know, send me a link so that I can remove it. But that's, I think that's the take that is a first step of things we can do to protect our kids. Join me as Jim O'Day, the executive director of Integrity Restored. You can find him at integrityrestored.com. One of the things that he often deals with when people are struggling with pornography addiction is how to pick up the messy pieces after the damage of betrayal trauma and the impact that pornography has on relationships. So we're going to come back talking about four things couples can do to spice up their intimacy life in a way that honors the body, honors your faith, and builds a stronger relationship. We'll be right back here on Trending. talking about what you're thinking about you're listening to trending with timory on relevant radio and the relevant radio app do you have a rubric for what you do when you pray how to begin how to finish well i'll give you some key guidelines to walk you through that in just a moment here on trending along with asking the question and that is why is saint joseph called the servant of christ We'll dive into that in just a moment. Joining me today on Trending is Jim O'Day, the Executive Director of Integrity Restored. Jim, you work day in and day out with people who have struggled with pornography addiction or betrayal trauma. And one of the challenges is people will point to difficulty in the bedroom, not a great sex life, as to sometimes one of the arguments for why people start looking at pornography. I think it's a lame excuse. But you also see the aftermath of the impact pornography has on relationships and the need to build up a healthy, intimate life. Can you share with us the things people can do to better improve their intimacy and really help to move beyond a lot of the wounds that are out there today surrounding sexuality? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And Timory, full disclosure, when we were coming up with ideas uh, for our conversation today, um, tomorrow on the Integrity Restored podcast, we have a guest host, Father Alan Hoffa, and he is talking to us about the conjugal commandments. And these are 10 commandments that he came up with um, to really, after working with couples for 15 years, to really help them understand what marital intimacy is all about. That's great. So tune in, integritystore.com backslash podcast, and you will, uh, you'll be able to get that episode. Be sure to um, send the link to me so we can post it online when it comes live. Will do. Tomorrow at noon Eastern, I will send it to you. Um, the, the first thing I have to say with all these couples I've dealt with in the eight years I've been doing this work is I have heard so often, and it's infuriating, well, isn't porn just a marital aid? Isn't that going to help us? No. It doesn't help. It creates huge damage in the relationship, sexually, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically. No good comes of it, ladies and gentlemen. Please don't think that. That's the biggest lie. The first thing, if you want to have a really healthy and holy 
sex life with your spouse. Don't use porn. Period. Hard stop. The second one sounds simple, but it's not. You know, when Jesus gave us the the kind of two great commandments, he said, love God before all else and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, in this case, your spouse is your neighbor. You have to love, capital L-O-V-E, love that person. And that's going to be hard. Look, when you're married, it's not easy. Um, It's going to be hard sometimes to love that person, but that is what we are called to do. And if you want to have a really, really good sex life, it better be about love. You see, society, culture, pornography, media, they will tell us today it's about lust. That's the constant message. But what happens when one of you gets sick? What happens as you get older and libidos change? What happens if something bad has happened to your family? There are going to be times when your sexuality has to be put on the back burner. It's not just about you. It's about love for that other person. So really, really learn to love each other. And it ain't easy. (laughs) But here's the thing. When we think about what the... and, And I know many people think the Catholic Church just is is the church of no when it comes to sex. But that's not true. They're actually telling us how to have a healthy and a holy and a correctly ordered sexuality in our own personal lives and in our life with our spouse. And the first thing, it's really hard when you're reading the catechism. The language is not very easy to always understand. I call it church speak, right? And so you have to get used to that. But the fact of the matter is, if we break it down to just really and truly loving that other person and putting that person before ourselves, our intimate life will be so much better. And so people are always wanting these simple rules and you have, you have four key rules to help, but I love that you, you highlight that at the core of it, if we're not discovering what it means to sacrificially love the other person, to truly set ourselves aside, to give and love and build up that other person, which then ends up building a bus, then we're getting it wrong. And that's the exactly the problem with pornography and this culture of infidelity, whether it's actual infidelity or infidelity that is still infidelity via porn, that we need to find that great gift of fidelity, that great gift of sacrificial love and recognize that porn takes, it doesn't give. Amen. Amen. There's a great quote, and I don't know who said it, but I love it. The problem with pornography is not that it shows too much. JP2. It's that it doesn't show enough. JP2, there you go. Love and responsibility. Unbelievable. The depth, the understanding. See, that's where the Catholic Church really has so much to say that's Mm -hmm. powerful and good. And if we think about um, the Song of Songs or or Thessalonians where St. Paul is writing 
to how are we to behave. There's real clarity in there of what it takes to have a really incredible relationship. And that brings me to my third point, communication. This is one of the toughest areas of marriage to communicate about, but it is one of the most important. We have to communicate. And sometimes that communication is, honey, I really didn't like that. And that has to be okay. Or, honey, I don't feel well. Um, whatever it is. Or, or, honey, I really feel I need your attention right now. We have to communicate. When I talk to couples all the time, one of the first things I tell them is good sex never starts in the bedroom. It always starts at the breakfast table. If you have that strong communication with your spouse and open communication without shame or embarrassment, you're going to be able to really grow together as a couple. You see, what the church knows about sex is deep. And that is that it is, yes, procreative. We have to be open to life. But it's also unitive. And I don't think in today's culture, we understand the importance of the unitive aspect. You see, unitive is not what I can feel about it, but it's what can I help my partner feel my spouse, my wife, that beloved daughter of God who I'm entrusted with. That communication, if we're not doing that all day long, then gentlemen, and I'm speaking to you men right now directly, gentlemen, please don't expect a good time in bed that night. Not going to happen. And the fourth kind of piggybacks on that, all of these piggyback on each other, the fourth is mutual giving. That's that unitive aspect of the relationship. And it's not just mutual giving in the bedroom. Not to harbor or belabor a certain point. But guys, you got to start to know this. A good sex life is mutual giving always. What have you done for your wife today? Wives, what have you done for your husband today? And it could be little, little things. Holding hands, a hug when you're passing by, a kiss on the cheek, walking down the hall. That's all building. A good sex life starts with a healthy bank account. And that bank account is full of little intimacies all day long. Mm. I was reading some advice from couples who have been married over 50 years. I heard a little of it on the Kale Clark show last week. He was looking at some posts, and one of the things that the couple said is do daily acts of service for one another without telling the other person. And I laughed at how easily ignored that could be, Jim. You know, oh, yeah. We look and we do daily acts of service every single day, all day for each other, when you really think about it, that often are unthanked tasks. And yet, it's this idea of, well, push yourself just a little bit further. Do that small thing that could just lighten the load of your spouse, that could just make things a little easier. Or it could even be something as simple as clothes that are left out 
you know, that they're going to take care of later that might be irritating you and that you pick up and you hang up or you throw in the hamper, whatever it might be. Without Don't throw your socks on the floor, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Simple little <laughs> things like that carry a huge amount of weight in that bank, that bank of intimacy, that bank of care. It's so important to build up all those things every day and every day becomes every month. And every month becomes every year. And then the next thing you know, with God's help, you wake up 50 years later and you're next to your bride who you've loved. I can't imagine anything better. We have some questions coming in today. If you're just joining me, that's Jim O'Day, the Executive Director of Integrity Restored. Our toll-free line, if you have a question for Jim, is 888-914-9149. And it's sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance. Cheryl asked the question, work is really stressing my husband out lately. It's the most stressed I've ever seen him. Are there things you would appreciate or want your your spouse to do at a time like this, Jim? Hmm. That's such a tough one. And I've been there, so I understand. Um, the, the, The first thing is ask about the day. But if he doesn't want to talk to it, talk about it, that's okay. Let it go. Because sometimes it's just too much. You can't rehash it. So give him the opportunity and say, hey, honey, do you want to talk about it? How'd your day go? And if he says, you know what? It was fine. I really don't want to talk about it. Let it go. The second thing is what always got me and Kim, my wife, 35 years now. Thank you, Jesus. Um, she would just come up behind me and rub my neck. She just has an instinct. When I'm stressed, I hold it up in my shoulders and she would just come and rub my neck. She wouldn't say a word, but her timing was always impeccable. And that little touch always melts me. So what would your husband appreciate? Do little things outside of trying to directly address the stress. Give him a shoulder rub, go for a walk, have a picnic, whatever you can do to show him you love him and you're there with him in the midst of this struggle is going to be hugely, hugely beneficial and won't be forgotten. I love these. I think these are great ways to help address your spouse's stress without speaking to the stress, which I think we have a problem of doing as women when your spouse, well, let's talk about it. Tell me about it. Or you keep asking about the very thing that stresses them out. And I've learned that like, if my husband does share about the challenging situation, and maybe it's at work that's going on, I've started to say, do you want to talk about that? Instead of commenting or asking more questions about it, do you want to keep talking about that? And he'll talk if he needs to, or that's all he needs and he moves on it was that little bit of relief yep. as you mentioned that that you know you could say it but it didn't have to be dwelled on yes and and i think that's so critically important because there is a real difference in communication styles and i'm absolutely generalizing but between men and women and for 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 gabe he got it out you recognized it you validated you said i understand That was enough for him at that moment. If you kept digging in, his stress level is going to ramp right back up. 
So I think it's important and, and for both parties to say to the other, do you want to talk about it? And if the answer is no, that's okay. Let it go. Go in for the shoulder rub or the hug or the walk or the whatever. But that you're there and part of the journey. That's the important thing. Jim, in our last moments together, I wanted to throw a question your way from me. I'm celebrating my fifth wedding anniversary this week on the second. And Congratulations. Thank you. I would love to hear any advice you might impart to maybe your younger self looking back five years into marriage, having young kids. What pieces of golden advice and nuggets you have? Well, this is one of those where, uh, just like you've had that that experience where you've looked back and said, you know, forgive me, Lord, I really screwed up. Um, this is one where I can honestly say, forgive me, Lord, I really screwed up. When my kids were, were little and five years, six years, ten years into marriage, I was so focused on work that I would just buy Kim a gift and think that that was fine. You know, handwrite a little card, buy her a gift, that's it. What I've learned in all these years of marriage is, you know what's more important? Experiences together. Don't worry about the gift, but go do something meaningful. And Timory, even if it's just you and Gabe going down to the beach and watching the sunset with a glass of wine or champagne and telling each other how much you love each other, that will be remembered far more than anything you could buy him. I love that reminder for experiences. That those are the things we'll remember. And I love that too because we were talking about well, what do we do and we haven't quite planned it. We have the day um, it reserved for us and we have uh, someone helping watch our kids. But we still hadn't decided. I just said, I want an experience, something that we'll remember. So I love that you said that. So it's a good reminder, especially as so many things happen that can be so distracting throughout the day and the week. And next thing you know, the year goes by so quickly. So thank you, Jim, for joining me today on Trending, for talking about these difficult but important topics. If you're struggling in your marriage, if you're struggling, you're looking at pornography, or maybe you've experienced betrayal trauma, please check out IntegrityRestored.com. That's IntegrityRestored.com. Hope in healing for sexual integrity, and also with both a Catholic and scientific take. So check them out, IntegrityRestored.org. I'll be right back here on Trending. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Lent is just around the corner. Do you have a plan? I'm starting to think about mine. I'd love to hear from you what you're considering for working on this Lent, maybe what you're giving up or plan to do, but make your Lenten journey with your parish this year with Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass sponsored in part by the National Center for Padre Pio. These free daily videos are bite-sized explorations of prayers and postures that will transform your perspective on the Mass and re-energize your parish community. Pray, fast, serve these 40 days with 40 lessons and with Father Rocky's weekly Eucharistic encounters. Sign up and share your fam- share with your family at relevantradio.com slash Lent. That's relevantradio.com slash Lent. Today's Wednesday, and in the church are 
perspective is supposed to be focused on St. Joseph, just as Sunday is on the resurrection, Friday is on our Lord's Passion. And we could walk through the whole week on what all of those things are. But Wednesday, it's the day that we spend with St. Joseph. Now, I love it because I'm consecrated to St. Joseph. I love the consecration of St. Joseph. Father Calloway's book is excellent. And by the way, if you haven't consecrated yourself to St. Joseph— it's a great time to start considering it. You tend to take uh, 33 days of preparation, and a great consecration date is March 19th, the feast day of St. Joseph. So if you, it's something you're considering, you might think ahead to put it on your calendar and pick up the book. But in the consecration of St. Joseph, one of the things they encourage is that you do something daily, uh, a prayer or some sort of devotion, asking the intercession of St. Joseph. And one of those things that I like to do off and on daily in my routine is to pray the litany of St. Joseph. If I don't pray it every day, I like to pray it especially on Wednesdays. Now, he's known under a number of various titles. He's known as the Light of Patriarchs. He's known as the chaste virgin, the chaste spouse of the virgin. Uh, he's known as St. Joseph as being most humble. One of the titles that St. Joseph goes by in the litany of St. Joseph is Servant of Christ. Now, when I pray the litany of St. Joseph, I like to think about ways I can imitate St. Joseph, ways concretely to look at his example and see how I can learn from it. Now, one of his titles, as I mentioned, is Servant of Christ. And whenever I read this title, it's one that is kind of flipped on its back when you think about it, because it's a reverse relationship. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but also he's the legal son of St. Joseph here on earth. St. Joseph has taken legal responsibility for Jesus. And even though he is his father, He's the father here on earth of God himself, Jesus Christ, the son of God. And so there's a certain level of humility that knocks him on his butt in many respects because St. Joseph serves the Christ child. Now, any parent knows that you really do serve your children, but think of him as serving him as he continues to grow in age and how St. Joseph sets that example of serving God, the king of the universe, who knows everything, has everything, and doesn't need a thing. It's quite humbling to think that our role is to serve Christ when there's nothing we can give him that he doesn't already have. There's nothing we can give him that he wants, that he needs, that he desires. So the greatest thing we can give him is ourselves. And that's exactly what St. Joseph gave Jesus. He gave Jesus his very life in service to the mother of Jesus, and in service to Christ himself. And so how is St. Joseph the servant of Christ? Well, he's the father who served the son because he became the servant of Christ. It's enchanting when you think about, in certain respects, all the humbling things that St. Joseph would have done, from changing soiled diapers to feeding and 
and then later teaching him how to eat. It's a humbling task, especially when the food ends up on the floor and you try to be patient over and over again. My kid, my one-year-old, she looks like a little monkey. She just tosses things over her shoulder. And if she decides she doesn't want it at the moment, she just chucks it to the side as hard and as fast as she can and then continues to go on with the little foods that are right in front of her. And then she slides it over, looks at me and hands a piece to me. And it's a joy if we have that perspective. Uh, But you find joy through sacrifice. You find joy through spending three meals a day after the meal, cleaning up all the filth off of the floor of the wasted food. And these are things that St. Joseph would have done. He would have sacrificed his sleep. Do you think that Jesus just slept perfectly through the night from day one? I've read various meditations that comment from saints and various venerables who are on their path to being proclaimed a saint by the church. And they say that Jesus was this perfect baby who slept through the night, hardly cried. I don't know. Maybe that's an insight they have. We're not required to believe that because that's not part of divine revelation, but that's a devotion and a pious um Pious belief that you could believe, uh, but it's not mandatory of us. So I don't know. I, it's interesting to think, was Jesus a perfect child? And if he wasn't, even if he wasn't, there are still things out of humility and out of the fact that he became a baby, a human being, he was dependent upon St. Joseph and Our Lady for. And St. Joseph, with that regard, did the same unimaginable things to serve the king of the universe under his own roof that any other parent does. I think this is part of the reason why he is such a powerful intercessor for you and I. And this is why there's this tradition in the church, just as in the beginning of sacred scripture, when we read the story of the first patriarch, Joseph, in Genesis, who he, we know the story of Joseph and the technicolored coat in the story of him and his 11 brothers. And we read about how Pharaoh depended so much so on Joseph that he told people to go to Joseph during the famine. If they needed anything, go to Joseph. And now that tradition, ite ad Joseph in Latin, is a tradition that we hold through the centuries that many of the saints in their sound counsel and wisdom tell us, go to Joseph, ite ad Joseph. These are the words of Pharaoh to the people of Egypt during the years of famine, and these are the words that many of the saints and holy people who have gone before us now say today. Go to St. Joseph. And I agree with this. Anytime there's a difficulty in my own life or something, whether it needs to be discerned or we're praying for a gift or a miracle, we go to St. Joseph. When I was praying you know, our Lord help, you know, what's going on with having a child. You know, may know my story with fertility and went to St. Joseph, prayed a rose, prayed in novena to St. Joseph. And it's just kind of crazy. I had babies or were due exactly nine months after St. Joseph's feast day. And we were praying novenas right around that time uh, for his feast day. Go to St. Joseph. I remember when Father Rocky reached out to me about hosting this radio program here on Relevant Radio. And I said, okay, Father, you know, what do we need to do? And he said, go pray to St. Joseph. And during that time, we were coming up on his feast day. We were just about a month, a few weeks away. And so I prayed to St. Joseph. One of my prayers is, if this is something that would be bad for me, bad for my family, uh, let this program not be something I'm involved in. And I just prayed, go to St. Joseph. He is such a miracle worker. 
And it's because he is the servant of Christ. He intervenes for us before the throne of God, asking his son's intercession for those things so that his son can discern whether or not they are good for us. And this is part of the reason why Joseph is so brave. He follows divine promptings even when he doesn't fully understand them. He follows the message of God in a dream that says, take our lady, even though you don't understand the means of her conception. And I'm telling you, it's by the Holy Spirit. Joseph trusted and he followed. See, Joseph is brave in that in the middle of the night, an angel gives him this dream that you have to flee to Egypt. And so St. Joseph wakes up. I believe he woke up in the middle of the night, packed up his wife and child and fled to Egypt, leaving everything behind including his means of providing for his family, in addition to his home, community, and family. At that time, the families were very large. He probably had a huge family in the area. Joseph's known under this title of Joseph Most Obedient. I truly believe it's because he knew how to serve Christ. And this is why he is a great intercessor for us and someone that we should turn to as a model, but also as an intercessor in whatever we might need. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. And while we're speaking of prayer in St. Joseph, a question I've heard a lot recently is, how do I pray? I keep trying to start up a prayer life and I try to start, maybe I set too lofty of a goal and then I just flop. And part of the reason why I hear, I think I hear a lot of people saying, I try to pray and then it flops is because I think sometimes we don't know how to pray. Maybe you've always just recited memorized prayers. Memorized prayers are great, whether it's the Our Father, whether it's the Rosary even. There are any number of prayers that are wonderful. Or maybe when you pray, all you do is complain to God. Or maybe all you do is ask God for things. Is there a rubric for prayer? Well, one of my favorite sections of the Catechism of the Catholic Church is actually on prayer. I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Catechism of the Catholic Church and read the shortest and best section at the very end of the Catechism on prayer. Now, what the guideline is for praying is that we have this format, that we first praise God, we then adore Him, we thank Him, we ask His intercession, and make petitions to Him. And so, Before we do all of that, though, when you start praying, it's hard to start praying because sometimes you're running from doing this thing to that, or maybe you just woke up or you're at the end of the day and about to go to sleep, or perhaps you're driving in the car. So how do you begin? Well, we begin with the sign of the cross, but we begin with that sign of the cross of placing ourselves in the presence of the Lord. Pausing in silence for just a moment to calm the mind, calm the heart, be aware of our surroundings. And in that place, wherever you might be, whether your posture is kneeling, which is the most helpful I find for prayer, unless I'm outside walking without other distractions, but to place yourself and to really recognize where you're at and to devote yourself in that time to being in the presence of our Lord as if you were sitting close to a friend a family member. And then once you really sat in that presence of the Lord, one of the things I love to do is to think about the fact that in this very moment, right where I'm at, 
I only exist because God has created me and he chooses to continue to create me. And even in this very moment, love me into existence. If God did not want me to exist at this moment, I wouldn't exist. And so I love to begin with that moment of putting myself in the presence of our Lord. And that's when it inspires me in prayer. And we're meant to ask the Holy Spirit to guide our prayers, to make our prayers. It's said that Pope St. John Paul II, when he would pray, he would be observed by his closest advisors and people who served him, that he would grunt and groan a lot in prayer. And people commented on how deep and profound Pope St. John Paul II's prayer life is. And they commented that it was the Holy Spirit praying, that he was in such a deep state of prayer that he was learning in his prayer. And that's why he would almost grunt in response of even being in awe of that conversation that was occurring between he and God, of the praise and adoration that was occurring. And that, those are the first two steps of prayer. We're meant to praise God, praise the King of the universe for all that he is, all that he gives, all that has occurred. Praise him as king. Praise him as God. And adore him. I love that song that we sing in adoration, down in adoration. If you've ever pray, sang it probably in Latin, it's a beautiful pray, song uh, to look at the words. And then it, for me, I like to go in the next order of thanksgiving next, of thanking God for everything, my very life. Those things that I fail to be grateful for that are just assumed in the day-to-day. For the home, the land we live on. Those simple things are food. And then after we've gone through prayer, adoration, thanksgiving, to ask intercession for others, for the world. And intercession and petition go hand in hand. We intercede for others. We make offerings for others to our Lord. But then we make our petitions for ourselves and others as well. Maybe something you need. Do you pray? When you pray, do you simply ask for things or do you ask for transformation of heart, mind, body, and soul for conformity to Christ? I challenge you during this time of prayer, as you praise, adore, and thank God, that as you're making your petitions to him, that you really do take a moment to ask him for those very virtues that help you to combat the sins that you are struggling with day to day. Those bad habits. You struggle with anger? Pray for meekness and humility. You struggle with pride? Pray for humility. Do you struggle with being impatient? Pray for patience. Do you struggle with being moody or sad or somewhat depressive? Pray for the virtue of joy. I love to side by side look at the seven deadly sins. And then to juxtapose those to the virtues that are necessary to combat those sins. Make sure you know what virtues are. Know what virtue is the opposite of the very thing you're struggling with. And in your prayer, starting with entering into our Lord's presence, praising him, adoring him, thanking him, making your intercessions and petitions, make sure you're asking for those things to actually see a transformation in your own life through conformity to his will. And taking upon yourself the virtues of our Lord. One priest once said to me that the virtues are to act and live and function with the very instincts of God. 
You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. It's great to be with you. Hope you're thinking about what you plan to give up and do this Lent. It's just around the corner in a couple weeks. In the meantime, join us here on Relevant Radio. Up next is Family Rosary Across America with Father Rocky.